the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas continue their missionary journey and eventually return home to Antioch where they share everything with their church there. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 14, verse 21. Once again, that's Acts chapter 14, verse 21. I bet Timothy saw Paul march into that city and it stirred his heart in the same way. I want to be that guy. We need that. Paul told Timothy later on, he says, you teach men who will teach faithful men to teach faithful men. And the idea is that just this link that goes unbroken. That's why we need godly men. We need to be godly dads, men. Why we need to be godly husbands. So other people can look at us and they can say, I want to be that. I'm not that yet. I want to be that to do the hard things. Well, Paul didn't have a death wish, but I imagine the disciples wouldn't have let him stay even if he did. And so the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Derbe was a small town about 70 miles from Lystra. It's the one city Paul and Barnabas don't suffer persecution in. And you could probably say the Lord was thinking, I think he could probably use a break today. (laughs) Verse 21, it mentions, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch and so it just mentions here in this little tiny town here that they, they ministered to them. They, they taught them. The word there means they discipled them. In other words, people got saved and they ministered the Lord to them. And so they, just real quick, it mentions that. And then it says they returned. Now, I would have been tempted to probably hang out in Derby and be like, Lord, this is where you've called me. Derby's good, man. I like Derby. Barnabas, what do you think? Derby's great. And you know, let's camp here and make this a base of operations, you know? And we can always go home to Antioch if any of those crazies from Lystra come back and check us out down here. But look at what it says. After he stays there, taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now, if you have a Bible map in the back, you'll see that Derby is right by the coast. So if they're going to go back to Antioch, the natural thing to do would be to go down to the coast and to one of the shipping cities down there and port cities and take a ship and go to Antioch. Missionary journey done. But they don't. It mentions here that they returned to these three cities where they were persecuted. Why? Verse 22 tells us. As they went to Lystra, place where he stoned, Iconium, the place they wanted to stone him, Antioch, the place they'd already kicked him out of. They took away his visa. And he goes back, an illegal alien. He's an illegal missionary. 
I've heard people ask questions. They say, well, you know, the laws say you can't bring a Bible into this city or laws. Hold on a moment. We are called to obey the laws of the land. We're called to respect the authorities that are there. But if the authorities tell us to do something that God says is wrong or that God commands us to do and they tell us we can't do it, then we have to do it and suffer the consequences. I've heard people criticize we were smuggling Bibles into these cities. Why are we doing that? That's so, that's so shady. Really? Paul is not allowed in this town and he went. They revoked his visa. They kicked him out. They said, you are illegal to be here. You cannot travel in this city anymore. And he goes right back in defiance of that law because he's commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that they must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. So three things. He returns to all these churches that he's planted and he does three things. The first thing is he exhorts them in their faith. He confirms the souls of the disciples. The word confirm there means to give additional strength. It means to make someone more firm or unwavering in their attitude or belief. So he's strengthening them in their ability to continue, it says, in the faith there, exhorting them to continue in the faith, to keep on keeping on. So he's exhorting them in their faith first off, then to exhorting them to stay in there, to keep on keeping on. And then thirdly, that through much tribulation, we must enter or it's necessary that we enter into the kingdom of God. We face many enemies on this narrow road, don't we? Our own flesh, the hatred of the world's way of doing things, the way of the world it hates, the way we are trying to do things. And then, of course, the spiritual forces of wickedness that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul and Barnabas don't want them to be ignorant of this truth, so neither should we. We have enemies. That's why the Bible says we got to put our armor on. We're in a battle every day. William Barclay said, Jesus did not come to make life easy, but to make men great. I like that. He saved us to change our lives. He came to bring us into right relationship with the Father and to change us and to use us. Do you realize that each day is a battle? Every day. You might wake up and say, I'm going to work. No, you're not. You're going to the war. (laughs) Some of you are going, I know that. You don't know my job. But whether you love your job or not, you're going to the war. You're going to the war. You're going to guys and gals that want to flirt with you. You're going to guys and gals that want to tempt you to say nasty things about your spouse. You're going to, to a place that's going to tempt you to cut corners and do things in a way that nobody else will see, but God sees. To compromise, to let your guard down. Do you realize that every day you need to put off yourself and put on the Lord Jesus if you're to be adequately outfitted for the fights that you'll encounter? Do we take the time each day to prepare for battle, to do some training? Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 14, those famous verses that talk about the armor of God. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And I love this. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. You got prepared. You've gotten all ready. Your heart's right. You spend time in prayer. You're seeking God. Lord, today is a day that I'm gonna walk with you no matter what. And then when you go, you have to, okay, having done all to stand, now I'm gonna take my stand. 
This is the day I'm gonna share the gospel. This is the day I'm gonna walk with Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter five, it tells us to put on the breastplate, which is our hope. It tells us to do these things. It's not just Ephesians. The Lord tells us to be prepared for the fight. (laughs) Well, verse 23, they had a second reason that they came there and it was to ordain elders. Verse 23 says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So they go there to exhort them in their faith by strengthening them, by challenging them to continue on their faith and warning them that, hey, you're gonna face battles. Well, then secondly, they go there to ordain elders. Now, what in the world is an elder? The church is people, and without believers, there's no such thing as the church, right? So this building is not the church. I know we call this Calvary Chapel Orlando, but you are Calvary Chapel Orlando, right? Everybody understands that. So whether we meet in this building or we go into the parking lot over there or we go, you know, wherever we are, we're Calvary Chapel Orlando because of the people who are gathered here. Yet the New Testament also commands local believers to gather together in an organized fashion. You can't have one without the other, okay? Now, part of this organizational process requires leaders. Paul and Barnabas didn't know when or if they would ever return to these churches. So these believers, like all of us, they needed a regular, steady diet of teaching, prayer, and fellowship. And it was the common practice of those who brought the gospel to a new place to train those believers until they could raise up leaders who would continue that work of discipleship. And so here, that's what they're going to do. They've planted these churches. They don't know if they're coming back or when they're coming back. And so they're gonna raise up elders. Now, the word here, elder, is that word presbyteros, which is where you've probably heard the word Presbyterian from. We have a denomination that's known as a Presbyterian denomination. That's where that word comes from. This word for elder here is one of four biblical words which refer to the same office. The four words are elder, pastor, bishop, steward. All four of those words used in the New Testament refer to the same leadership position within the church. Each one of those words emphasize a specific part of what a pastor does, but they all refer to the same office. For example, bishop, that word refers to the leadership and the oversight a pastor must provide. A pastor is to be a leader. He's supposed to make the hard decisions. He's the one that has to provide the oversight in the sense of the direction for the church be able to say, where are we going? What are we doing? What's our next step? Our call from Jesus is very clear. We have a mandate to love God, to love others, to preach the gospel, make disciples. We have a mandate from God. So it's not like that's hard to figure out. But in the specifics of what does God want us to do specifically to fulfill that? He has to be able to provide leadership and oversight for that. Now, a steward refers to the managing of the affairs of the church. So the idea of making sure that the affairs of the church are going on in a above board, above reproach, honest way. Pastor, that word, it means shepherd and refers to the job of feeding, loving, and protecting the congregation through the teaching of the word of God, both in the pulpit and in one-on-one interactions, whether that's counseling, discipleship, that's one role of the pastor. Elder, well, it means what you think. It refers to the maturity. It refers to the length of faith that they can provide a mature example of the Christian life, that they're to model what the Christian life looks like. Now, some pastoral leaders excel in certain areas more than others, and they might even specialize in those areas in a larger congregation. I know where our finances are at. I know budgeting and all those kinds of things, but I don't specialize in that. 
If I spent all day doing that, then I would not have time to study and prepare. And so we have another pastor here who specializes in that. But that man also has the gift to teach. He has the ability to feed and to love God's people, to counsel. He has the ability to manage the affairs of the church. He provides leadership and oversight for the church as well. And so while some pastoral leaders, like I said, they might excel in certain areas and they might specialize in those areas in a larger congregation, all elders must lay hold of all four areas of ministry in order to be in that office. Again, it's very common these days to find a pastor to be like a CEO. He's the guy, you know, who does the speaking. He's the guy who does the inspiring. He's the guy who does the leading, but he's a garbage teacher. And so they'll say even, well, we have a teaching pastor here who does the teaching. So what are you talking about? You're a pastor teacher. You can't be an elder unless you can have the ability to teach, to rightly divide the word of truth, to accurately relay it to the people in a way that they can understand it. If you can't do that, get out of the pulpit. You're not a motivational speaker. (laughs) You know what blows me away? We know Paul and Barnabas didn't spend years in these cities. So that's a testament to how often these believers met to be discipled that leaders could arise so quickly, isn't it? I want to encourage you. We have ministries going all throughout the week that you can get involved in. And if you're just coming on Sunday morning, that's not to condemn you. This is that pastoral part right now, okay? This is the shepherd's heart talking. I know what I need. And maybe I'm the worst Christian around. Maybe I just need it better than all y'all do. But I know what I need. And if I'm out of fellowship, if I'm not in a, a regular place where I'm getting fed and encouraged and strengthened in my faith, I know what happens to me. Ask my wife. I'm not the man I need to be. Beth will approach me sometimes. She'll be like, uh, you spend time with the Lord lately? I know that's code for, wow, you really, you really, uh, you're not where you need to be. And again, it's not condemnation. It's just an exhortation. I want to encourage you, we need it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is and do it all the more as you see the day approaching. If these guys could meet enough where they could have elders in this short period of time, men that were qualified, that met the qualifications for elder. And that was 2000 years ago. How much closer are we today to him returning? We need to meet more. Now, how is an elder chosen? Well, it says, verse 23, that, when they had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. The word ordained means to appoint. In 1 Timothy 3, I won't read through it. You can read through it on your own time. I know that it's been a verse that as a church we've been very familiar with. But 1 Timothy 3 gives the qualifications for an elder. But God is the one who calls or appoints a man to this position. So what is ordination then? Ordination is simply recognizing and empowering a person that God has made it clear he has already called. We're just recognizing what God has done. Now, the model used in modern Christianity is that we send men off to school to be trained as leaders, and then we ordain them. But here's the question. How do you know if they're really called? Have you ever seen them do any ministry? (laughs) Intellect or skill in paper writing or oratory excellence are not guarantees of a calling. And so at Calvary Chapel, we don't ordain upon graduation from a college or a training program. I remember I went to the Bible college. I was like, so do you get ordained at the end of this? I'm like, no, why would we do that? <laughs> we don't know who you are. We don't know if you're called. How do you know if you're called? Go serve, right? You got to answer the call to be called. And then we'll see, it'll show. We ordain after seeing that man in action, seeing God demonstrate his call on that man's life, just like Paul and Barnabas. But it mentions here also that they prayed with fasting. They really sought the Lord about this. These elders would be responsible for the continued health of these believers. And such an important decision required that they hear God's voice clearly. 
fasting as we did just a few weeks ago. Wasn't that an awesome time? I had so many people tell me what an awesome time that was. Now they heard from the Lord and God was ministering. God was speaking to me a lot. Fasting is a good way to help you hear the voice of God, to help assist you in accomplishing an ear that can listen. And then notice what they do. Lastly, it says they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. Jesus is the chief elder, isn't he? That's what Peter said. He said, he's the chief elder. He's the chief shepherd. The word there, commend, it means to entrust to the care of another. The best one to care for them in this case wasn't Paul or Barnabas. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, he tells his fellow elders, he says, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. He calls Jesus the bishop of your souls, for you were a sheep going astray, but now are you returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. He's the chief pastor. He's the head pastor. And I like to think of what I do. I'm, I'm more like a sheep dog. We just herd the sheep to Jesus. The shepherd's over there. That's where you need to be. So they commended them. They entrusted them to the care of the one in whom they had believed. I love that. Jesus was the one who saved them, not Paul or Barnabas. The same Lord who rescued them from hell was more than able to keep them safe in their walk, wasn't he? They entrusted him to the Lord. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, for I know him whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The best person to keep any believer is the Lord Jesus Christ. We should disciple and we should be there and hold each other accountable. But in the end, they need the Lord, not us. Today, you're troubled about someone you love who's outside your daily reach and trust them to Jesus, right? Give them to the Lord. He can take care of them. This is such a reminder that people don't need me. The church doesn't need rock stars. They need the rock star. They need Jesus. Verse 24, and after they had passed throughout Pisidia, so they're coming back down to where they had been before, the Antioch and Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, now last time they were in Perga in Acts 13, it doesn't mention them preaching the gospel the first their time they were there, but this time they do. And so they preached the gospel there, but it doesn't mention planting a church or anything like that. And after that, they went down to Atalia. Atalia was the major port city just a short distance away. And from there, it says, they sailed to Antioch. Now, they'd been gone about 18 months and the grace of God had been with them. It says here, when they had sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. We think of the grace of God. We don't usually think of stonings and being run out of town and getting your visa revoked. We don't usually think of persecution. And yet Paul, it's, it's, you do a study on this. Look at every time you see the word open door used by Paul. Every time he talks about an open door from God, he talks about the difficulties he encountered. You sometimes we think, well, Lord, would you just open a door for me? And he's going, it's wide open. You're going, yeah, but there's a, a big nasty beast inside. <laughs> I don't want to go. And sometimes we think that's a closed door. That's not necessarily a closed door. It's that God's grace will see you through it. Amen. It sees us through those difficult times. And so God's grace had been with them during this time. It says, when they were come, they gathered the church together and they rehearsed all that God had done with them. They had fulfilled the work to which God had set them apart by his spirit with the prayers of the Antioch church. 
And they now had a wondrous story to tell. They gathered all the church together and they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And how, that phrase in how means above all. This was the most important thing they wanted to share. How God had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. This experiment to reach out to the Gentiles was now pronounced a success with great cause to celebrate. And so there they abode long time with the disciples. What's fascinating is that Paul and Barnabas make no report to Jerusalem. Antioch has now become the center of Christian activity in the world as they are the one fulfilling the Great Commission. So often Jerusalem became this place where they just kind of got stuck and stayed and even stayed in their ways. They weren't really reaching out to the Gentiles. And so what we find then in light of the success is that now the enemy is going to begin to ramp up his attacks against not Jerusalem, but against Antioch because it will become the force in the church at this period of time where God is doing great things. And so when we get to chapter 15, we'll learn more about what the enemy is doing to try to thwart this great work that's going on in Antioch. So anyway, but I'd like to close. Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter one? I'd like to close with just a few verses here from 2 Timothy. Paul's first missionary journey has come to an end and Later, he would write to the Galatians. That letter to the Galatians is to these churches that we've just looked at here, these new baby churches. And he'd write to them and he was heartbroken because they had so quickly been influenced by these Judaizers, these people who said, well, it's Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus the dietary laws or Jesus plus some other thing. And he would write to them about their need to be strong in the grace of God, to stay in the grace of God. Oh, foolish Galatians, he will say, having begun in the spirit, you're now made perfect in the flesh. So there was work to still be done. And Paul would begin, as he would go to these churches to encounter persecution, not just from the outside world, but from within the church, from those who would say that he was not a complete teacher. And writing to Timothy, who is a pastor at Ephesus, another church in Asia Minor, who was frustrated, who was scared, who felt overwhelmed, felt like he was in over his head. And he had to tell him, Timothy, Verse six, wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you by putting on of my hands. You know what Timothy had done? He had kind of gotten lazy. Not in the sense of he wanted to be lazy, but he had just, he was kind of intimidated. He was frustrated and he had kind of given up. He was not giving it his all anymore. And so Paul tells him, Timothy, stir up that gift that God's given to you. You have a calling. And he explains why. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound or a disciplined mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but you be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. What has God called you to do? Who has he told you to share the gospel with? Who has he called you? Don't be timid. Don't be afraid. You might look and go, man, yeah, but this guy's, this guy's a, he's a, he's a giant. This is scary. You know, I, I, I he'd be probably going to pound me into the ground, you know, or I don't know how to counter his arguments. This guy's really smart. Or this, this gal that, you know, that's my neighbor. She's just, she's very educated and she knows a lot more than I do about life and stuff. And don't be timid. God's laid it on your heart and you pray, you seek his face and you go. <laughs> You go, you be a partaker of the afflictions and the difficulties. You go for it. 
and you leave the results up to God. Amen? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, how we need you desperately. We are weak, Lord, but you are so very strong. We are frail. We oftentimes, we, we see all of our shortcomings and failures. We listen to the voice of the enemy who would discourage us. And Lord, yet we know what's right in front of us. Lord, you've laid something in front of us. Talk to this person. Tell them about me. Minister to them. Reach out to them. So Lord, today we need a fresh touch of your spirit. Lord, we need a fresh infusion of courage, Lord. Help us to be men and women who have fearless faith, Lord, who trust you fully and who will willingly, Lord, make the choice to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. There's going to be times, Lord, we know that when people are going to get in our face or they're not going to like what we have to say, we might even lose a friendship, Lord. But help us not to be ashamed of men like Paul and Martin Luther and Stephen and others who lost their lives or gave their lives or are willing to give their lives for the gospel. Lord, help us to not be ashamed of them, but to do our part, Lord, to be a partner in those afflictions by ministering the gospel, Lord. We thank you that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, Lord. You've given us the ability to do the things you've called us to do because you've given us your spirit. You've given us your love, Lord. We never have to worry about what it might happen if we might lose a friend or, or lose a neighbor, you know, and, and they won't want to talk to us anymore. We can know that you love us and that, that you're with us. And Lord, that you've given us a disciplined mind that we don't have to give in to fear. We can find our rest and our peace in you. So Lord, embolden us and encourage us that we might fulfill that great commission to go and make disciples. We pray and ask it in Jesus' mighty name. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.